Of the 2.2 million people incarcerated in the U.S., nearly 75% suffer from mental health issues. Violence, discrimination, and poverty disproportionately impact this vulnerable population who are among the least likely to have access to health services. The largest providers of mental health um, treatment in the U.S. are three large jails. That's Dr. Dion Hart. She is the director of Care from the Heart, which provides patient advocacy and psychiatric consultation services, and the Minority Affairs Section Delegate to the AMA House of Delegates. On this episode of Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association, Dr. Hart provides sobering statistics that challenge our preconceived notions about the individuals within the criminal justice system. I'm your host, Todd Unger, Chief Experience Officer at the AMA. This episode of Moving Medicine is one of three parts about improving health outcomes for vulnerable patient populations. This speech was presented at the 2018 AMA Annual Meeting in Chicago. Here's Dr. Dion Hart. So each of you have likely seen the image of a person arrested or in a correctional facility. The source of the image is important because our, over time, our opinion of who is involved in the criminal justice system is shaped by those images. For example, if your main source of news is mainstream media, you may think that um, someone involved in a car chase or a high-profile person on a perp walk is who is involved in the criminal justice system. If you are likely to receive your information from social media, um, things like Instagram, maybe you think of the hot felon. Or if it's Twitter or Facebook, maybe images of someone with a compelling story like Alice Marie Johnson um, is who you think of when you think of the people involved in the criminal justice system. But those are just snapshots, snapshots in the life of an individual. These are meant to capture an audience attention. The stories are meant to boost ratings or increase traffic on a website, but they are not intended to accurately portray the life of an individual who is involved in a criminal justice system. In the U.S., there are 2.2 million people who are in jail or imprisoned. Each has a story, but they also have a few things in common. And today, I would like to give you some facts about who is involved in the the criminal justice system so that when you retweet, like, share, or document images and stories, they are more likely to support the image of who exactly is in the system rather than those we perceive based on some um, past distorted images. So... They are more likely to be people of color. Um, Six out of 10 people in jails or or, um, prisons are racial or ethnic minorities. They're less likely to have um, many years of formal education. 20.5 in state prisons versus 27% um, in federal prisons, and that is compared to 33.2% in the general population. Over half grew up in single-parent households or with a guardian. 45% had a family member who had also been incarcerated. 
they are also likely to be victims of violence. Um, 50% of women who are surveyed in corrections uh, report being physically or sexually abused in their lifetime versus 10% of men. And about 74% of state prisoners, 76% of those in local jails have a mental health problem, which shouldn't be surprising to you if you know that the largest providers of mental health um, treatment in the U.S. are three large jails. Cook County, Rikers, and LA. And they're also parents. 1.5 American children have a mother or father who's involved um, in the criminal justice system. So I want to highlight here um, when you think about the criminal justice system, you should also know that there are a couple groups who are overrepresented, um, namely African Americans, particularly males, and also sexual minorities. Um, Eric brought up the statistic about 0.3% transgender, um, but in the community, but 16% in the correctional environment. LGBTQ is 3.8% in the community versus 7.9% in federal and state prisons. So if you look at the research, um, there's some differences. So you may see LGBTQ, you may see LGB. So because um, it's oftentimes they don't capture the whole community, just certain groups. But here, I really want to focus on transgender um, to some degree because they're facing a lot more um, changes as far as policy within corrections, um, and there's been a lot more attention, um, rightfully so, compa compared to other groups. Um, so this is a re from the report of um, the transgender survey from 2015. Um, they surveyed um, people who were involved in corrections. 2% of the respondents had been arrested, and 22% felt that they had been arrested because they were transgender. More than half of those responding said that they were somewhat uncomfortable asking the police for help. And as we heard, they're also likely to be victims. So imagine if you're um, in a position where you've been abused or assaulted, you, you need help, but you don't feel comfortable asking the police for help. 57% um, said they thought when they did reach out to law enforcement that they were not treated with respect, um, 40, 40 versus 43% who thought that they were. 58% experienced some type of mistreatment, um, and that could be not being referred to by your um, preferred pronoun, being verbally harassed, or not treated um, consistent with your, your identified gender. And again, as we talked about, um, tr transgender women of color, um, including African Americans and Native Americans, are more likely to be incarcerated. Um, when you're in this situation where you are um, confined to a, a correctional facility, you don't have by definition, many rights. Um, so you are in a vulnerable position. 30% um, of those people felt that they were treated poorly or sexually assaulted by staff or other inmates in those facilities. 
if you can't come in on treatment, um, uh, gender-conforming treatment, um, whereas hormones, um, you may not receive your um, treatment when you're in a correctional facility. So we've already uh, kind of mentioned um, social determinants of health in the um, with the first speaker, but I really want to talk to you more about that because um, we talked in the beginning about general, um, who that is, but if we go down and we look closer at the social determinants of health in relation to transgender um, individuals, the, the stats I think are pretty alarming. 24% uh, were unemployed, 33, excuse me, 30% felt that they had been mistreated, fired, or experienced some type of um, mistreatment in the work environment. 70%, 77% um, in K-12 felt that they um, were mistreated um, during those very formative years. Um, so you're more likely to drop out. Healthcare delivery, as we've been told, um, having a very welcoming environment makes a difference because 42% felt that they had been mistreated by a healthcare provider, so you're less likely to go get help when you need it. Housing insecure, 23% um, felt that they had been discriminated, more likely to be homeless. 8% um, had been kicked out of their um, family home. 10% um, uh, reported that they had been experiencing violence in their home. They're also more likely to be poor, 45% live in poverty, and experience psychological distress because of um, their identity. 7% attempted suicide in the past year, which is nearly 12 times the rate in the U.S. population, and 39% experienced some sort of psychological distress in the month previous. Um, and Violence and discrimination, they disproportionately impact minorities, um, racial minorities, as well as sexual minorities in the community, and that's also true in the correctional facilities. Um, and I think it's, we really have to know that there are violence that tends to be worse when you're separated by sex um, in county jails, immigration facilities, and prisons. 13 times more likely um, than cisgender inmates in one study to be sexually assaulted in prison. And black transgender women um, are three times more likely to be in prison, but also spend a lot more time in segregation units. Um, someone who is arrested, they come into um, the booking area they're in a public area with a correctional officer, excuse me, with a security, police officer, sorry, it's kind of a work bias, uh, with, his, with a police officer, and they're interviewed right next to someone else who may be going through the same book. So it's not private. You're disclosing personal information. They may use your legal name versus your preferred name. They're not as likely to use your preferred pronoun you have to go into a room where you are searched um, with, without your clothing, which is, is again, um, not private. It's based on for security reasons. But it's usually the, a person who is the same biological or natal sex as you and not your preferred sex. So it's, it's not... Um, is more stressful um, for people who are transgender. 
so you are group into what is referred to as special populations. Um, again, I want to continue to emphasize if you are, your name is, you think about who you are, you identify with, if suddenly someone's not using that, then not um, being respectful of your um, identity, your gender identity, they're not using preferred pronouns, and the search procedures um, are weighed heavily on um, security matters versus privacy issues. And just in closing, um, I want to make sure that I highlight the federal correction policy because there's been some major changes recently, but also because the federal um, policy sometimes is the model for local and state facilities. Um, before 2011, there was a free, freeze frame policy, which meant if you came in on hormones, you would not advance um, to beyond that your treatment was frozen there. If you hadn't started treatment, you could not start treatment. Um, there was a settlement reached in 2011 as a result of a lawsuit. So there was a um, culture where you, by case by case, you could look at someone who had gender identity disorder and prescribe the appropriate treatment. And that continued to advance. Um, to 2016, when there were formal guidelines put in place, um, there was a progressive policy where um, your, your identified gender would determine more about where you were designated, who performed security procedures. Staff were not only encouraged, but required to use your preferred pronouns. So there was more of a culture of, um, like, like in a clinical environment where we talk about having staff doing competency training. But um, very recently, um, the new administration changed that policy, so now it has gone back to, um, based on your biological or natal sex, um, that, that dictates your um, designation. Um, and the security procedures are um, moving towards where we were before. So one of the things I want to um, emphasize is there is a role for um, providers um, and for AMA members um, to get involved in taking care of these patients. Um, corrections is underserved. You can consider giving direct care as an employed person or a contractor. Um, get involved in research. There's not enough research, and there's certainly not enough research that encompasses the whole community. Become culturally competent. Encourage others to do so. Register your practice with GLAMA um, as a LGBTQ-friendly um, practice. Um, the deadline for the Office of um, Religious Freedom, I believe it's called, um, has passed. But um, that basically would say that if, as a provider, if you felt uncomfortable providing services to someone who was in the LGBTQ community, then you could object to doing so. So it's going to be voluntary. So I would encourage you, if you are, if if you are willing, and hopefully everyone is, to provide services that you also um, share that your experience with others and really promote um, providing care to all. In the House of Medicine, 
we should see more resolutions related to this population as far as access, um, as far as um, the social determinants of health that impact them. That was Dr. Dion Hart, Director of Care from the Heart. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Be sure to check out the other episodes in this three-part series about improving health outcomes for vulnerable patient populations. To attend live presentations like Dr. Hart's, visit ama-assn.org movingmedicine to become a member of the AMA and register for our annual meetings. You can also subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts on iTunes or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you.